welcome to the Bromley Adult Education College Digital Drop-In Podcast, getting you back to work with confidence. Hello, I'm Jill Collier and welcome to episode 18 of the Digital Drop-In Podcast. Today I'm joined by Pauline Virgo-Smith and Pauline would like to share her knowledge with us of working for the Civil Service. Pauline was with the Civil Service for over 20 years and had a variety of jobs within that um, time period and I'm just interested to find out what goes on there. So hello Pauline. Hello. Welcome. Um, so firstly, were you based in the same building all that time or did you move from one building to another? Was it all based in London? All based in London and I moved from one building to the other. When I started work there... What um, did you start as? I started as a admin assistant. And this is from when you left school? Or? Well, more or less uh, leaving college. Mm. I left college and I more or less walked straight into the job. Lovely. Applied for it via a newspaper. Right. And what qualifications or requirements was there to get into the civil service? Did you need to be able to type shorthand? Nope. No. When I started work, um, I think the minimum requirements were um, O-levels right. and at the time I had A-levels so I applied on that basis um, and as I said I applied via a newspaper. It took three months from the time of my application to actually start the role. Right. So yeah. And how long were you in that junior post for roughly? So roughly it was about three years. Um, I then got promoted to the admin officer. Um, I was in that post for about six years. Um, And then I got promoted from that um, grade into the uh, executive officer. And I uh, was in that role or in that grade, should I say, and in that role for about, five years. And are we getting to, what, what would you be doing by this level um, in, in your... So um, executive officer is the first line of management in the um, civil service. So um, then um, my first job was working in the chemicals directorate where I dealt with the competitiveness of um, British companies. Right. Um, so that was... Um, so what would you have to do to deal with the competitiveness? Would so you have to meeting with trade associations, listening right. to their views, uh, making representations to ministers on behalf of those companies, um, organising various events, seminars, so that we can um, you know, gauge the competitiveness of the, of the companies. Um, dealing sometimes with ministerial cases and having to write briefings um, for ministers, answering ministers' cases, um, 
you know, various, uh, then I had management responsibility for two members of staff. So I was um, thrown into the, um, <laughs> literally thrown into the- um, Managing the people. Managing people, having to write reports. And that was a big yes. thing, yes. Um, you know, when you um, first start off. So that was um, quite a challenge. I think now people get more support in, in moving from one sort of um, position to another, and suddenly managing people is a whole different ball game oh, yeah. from doing your job yourself. But actually, managing people—it's—it's it's not even connected. So yeah. that can be quite um, a challenge. It was say. a challenge. So you know, moving to a new role um, on promotion, having to deal with completely different issues, um, and then having to have that responsibility of managing someone else's workload as well as yours. Yes. I found that quite challenging. Yes. And then once you'd mastered that, do you do you keep going for promotions or do they invite you? Do they say, we think you're ready now, Pauline? Well, it's a bit of both. So you've got to meet the, um, the criteria. So you've got to be able to be at a level. I can't remember exactly what it was, but you know, you've had to have reached the um, Let's call it threshold for argument's yes. sake. So you, once you've um, you've met the minimum requirements, then you can apply for promotion. Right. And then sometimes with that promotion, you might get um, extra management responsibilities. Some it depends on the role, and sometimes yes. you might not. Yes. You know. Um, but yeah. So, is the civil service a good place to work? What What are the benefits? So, you, is the salary competitive to commercial companies? Or? Um, it depends. I mean, I, 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 looking back now in hindsight, I really did enjoy it. One of the, my most um, enjoyable jobs then, I worked um, for about six years in the private office. And that was uh, the private offices, the ministerial offices, where you're dealing with ministerial correspondence. And the reason why I enjoyed it so much, it was more so with the people. And, you know, obviously it was, I worked quite long hours because with the ministerial correspondence, there was a, um, the, the thing is you had to do with all the correspondence which came in from the minister on the day, because we, we had a 10 day turnaround time. So if a member of public wrote in, or if, uh, sorry, a, a member of parliament wrote in on behalf of a constituent, we had 10 days to turn around the correspondence. So the minute it was received in, we had, it was my job, for example, as the correspondence clerk, to find the relevant official who would be in the best position to answer that correspondence. And then I had to track it, that correspondence, to make sure that it came back and that it was replied to within the 10 day turnaround time. Right. So that, um, you know, in itself was quite a job. And then um, in addition to that, I had to work with my colleagues that were dealing with the diary uh, and that sort of stuff. So it was, um, it was a demanding. It, it was demanding. It was demanding. It, it was it was the the work was uh, there was a lot of volume. So you yes. imagine you might get if there was a particular issue, for example. So for example, now we're in the cost of crisis, um, cost of living crisis. So you might be getting like fifty hundred letters a day. Yes. And you know that even though you might be sending stock replies, they still have to be processed. Yes. yes. You see, so you know. Uh, if I think you'd be issue. lucky if it was only 50 to 100. Yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. add another zero. Probably, to that probably at the another moment. zero. So <laughs> sometimes we had issues like that, yes. you know, that would come in. And you, you know, I very often used to start work at half eight and used to finish at eight o'clock. Yes, yeah. 
that was my day. And so the people who generally worked in a private office would, you know, tend to work their two, three years maximum, and then they'd just get totally burnt out and yes. have to move on. Yes. But I stayed there quite some time, and I built up a good relationship with my colleagues and everything, and I'm still friends with them today. Yes. And, um, yeah, that was, it was enjoyable, even though the, the work, it could get monotonous because yes. it was the same thing all the yes. time. Yes. Um, but it was it was really good, and obviously you got to um, meet with the ministers and stuff. Yes. So it was quite good. I'd quite worked with quite a lot of ministers in my time. And then where did you go from there? So you've done so, your so I did the the ministerial office, and then I um, it was from the ministerial office. Then I worked in the chemicals directorate. From right. the chemicals directorate, I worked in. Um, on the trade side, so I was the export um, manager for um, the desk that dealt with exports to Ghana and Togo for right. a, a year. And then I worked in a section called Invest UK and I looked after inward investment from um, uh, um, Ireland, um, France, Belgium and the right. Netherlands and that was quite um, interesting as well because um, I was able to travel out to those countries and in particular with the Netherlands, I went to um, um, to the Netherlands and we set up, we had a stand there and um, I was responsible then for organising the um, the stand. Would this be an ex exhibition or something? An exhibition, yes. an exhibition, um, inward investment exhibition and so I was responsible for setting up the stand, manning the stand. Lovely. You know, so, that so was you got to travel a bit in that. Yeah, position. so I got to travel. So I went to yes. I went to um, to Cork. I went to I went to Amsterdam. I went to Belgium. Lovely. Managed to um, forget my passport and one of them. So that was quite funny. And um, yeah, it was so, really it was really interesting. I mean, I would think positions like that um, at this well, I'll say at this present time in the yeah. last couple of years with Brexit oh, um, no. it must be. Yeah, more difficult because yeah. obviously the whole import and export um, procedure now we're out of the EU is really quite different, yeah. isn't it? So, so I can imagine in the COVID time is that work must have just dried up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because the whole point, you know, they used to encourage import um, inward investment. You would have um, people coming over, but yeah. obviously with COVID, you couldn't have all, you know, the travel and that. So. That no, but difficult. I wonder whether they would have been dealing with that on Zoom, as in to yeah. have the conversations. Yeah. But but yes, without a doubt, yeah. um, all of the industries were, yeah. were hit with the COVID. Oh yeah, they? definitely, definitely. So with the um, you know the imports and exports, you were obviously facilitating things like that, and um, and when how do you keep British businesses competitive? I mean. Do you actually have to look at other businesses yourself to see if they're competitive, or do you rely on these on these businesses telling you whether they feel they are competitive within the market? I think it's a bit of both, and you know, um, so sometimes you know um, you take things. You had to listen to the representation. So, for example, the. Um, the plastics industry may have been making representations to say that um, imports, they were, they were, uh, for example, let me start again, they were um, at a disadvantage because um, certain uh, plastics were coming in cheap and let's say from right, India. Right, right. Okay. okay. Then that's that the we are making yeah, in yeah, the UK. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. So, you know, you have to make representations to the government to say, well, you know, um, we are at a disadvantage because this, this and yes. this. Yes. But I guess it's like any industry. To an extent, you get what you pay for. I yeah. can think of, um, I dealt quite a lot with the steel industry years ago. And same thing, it was kind of drying up in the UK because the steel we produced was, was fine steel. Yeah. But much cheaper steel can come over from exactly. abroad. Exactly. But to an extent, you do get what you pay you for. You do get you, you? what you pay and, for. Um, it's whether that's going to work in, in a market where that is already competitive, yeah. whatever the plastics were or the steel or whatever, yeah. whatever yeah. it's going into, can they still men then make their yeah. product yeah. Com competitive, I guess. Exactly, but, exactly. Um, and obviously cheaper labour costs as well. Yes, very good point. Yes, you see? anywhere but the UK is going to have cheaper labour costs. Cheaper labour costs. So you couldn't compete, for example, at the time of like China or India yes. because they were able to produce it cheaper. And I think we can see that very clearly with the clothes manufacturing exactly. now, can't we? Not much clothes manufacturing yeah. goes on in this in this country. Um, so, sticking with the um, the civil service, for anybody that was wishing to enter into that type of um, profession now, what would you say? Are the key benefits? I mean, is there a good pension? Is there a good holiday scheme? Is there bonuses? What 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 would you say would be the lure to go into? Well, the thing that attracted me at the time, um, I felt that they did invest a lot of time in terms of training. Brilliant. I'm not so sure now. Um, the pension was one of the best pensions. People always to say, once you've got a job in the civil service, you've got a job for life. I'm not so sure now, but you know the pension was very good, and um, they've changed the pension slightly now. Um, so I think everyone um, I can't remember what pensions everyone's on now. Don't worry too but much anyway, about the specifics. Yeah, but, but anyway, yes, so the pension, so yes. training, yes, um, pensions, holidays, the wages, you know. Um, Obviously, you can't compete on a private no. scale, but no. you know I think they were good, and um, plus you know the holidays. Yes. So if you'd been there five years, for example, did you get another day's holiday, or did it kind of build up? It, it built a cumulative up. Thing? Yeah, it's yes. a cumulative. It was yes. a cumulative. I was on the max, obviously, because I've been there for some time. But yes. it was really good. And things like you get a privilege day for the Queen's birthday and stuff like that. So. Yes. Oh, you do, don't you? I've forgotten yeah. about things yeah. like that. So yeah. it'd be the King's birthday. Now. Yeah, the King's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I was there, but yes. um, since leaving, I know now that. Um, applying for a job there you have to do one of these tests now you have to do the um the um it's like a competence-based yeah, testing a competent -based i suspect te um, yes yeah. yes so, so i think the days of looking for a job in an evening standard <laughs> are yes, over yes but um yes everything kind of moves on doesn't it no that that's really interesting pauline i thank you for your time um and i just think it's nice for people to get a flavor for different types of careers mm. that are out there. And I know what you're saying, you're not just gonna breeze in now, you will have to take a competence-based test, make sure that you're the right person for the job. Mm. But once you're in, it may not be a job for life anymore, but I do think they do offer some sort of um, stability and it's a bit of a comfort blanket, isn't it? It is, to know it is. You will get a pension, you will get paid every month. Yeah. You know, all the things that yeah. in, sometimes in, um, private industries 
you know there can be problems and that doesn't always happen so it does give you that comfort blanket of knowing that your job is um is reasonably secure i think yeah so for some people that'd be very important yeah thank you very much for thank your time you. pauline i really really appreciate that okay thank you bye-bye bye-bye for help with all your job searching needs do visit one of our digital drop-in venues on a Monday, we are open 12.30 to 3.30pm at our Poveris Centre. And on a Tuesday, we are open 10am to 2pm at our Kentwood Centre. In our sessions, we offer free use of computers for job searching, advice on creating a winning CV, plus lots of short training courses to gain skills in the digital world. This podcast has been produced by Bromley Adult Education College. For full details of how we can support your return to work, visit our website www.baec.ac.uk and search for Digital Dropper. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to receive notifications of new episodes.